Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress, and welcome to it. I'm John Fugelsang. And I'm here to tell you, your week has gone better than Henry Kissinger's, Donald Trump's, and George Santos's combined. Thanks for getting through the week with us. Thank you to Dino Badala and his exquisite team for a wonderful live lead-in. I am joined... I'm John Fugelsang, by the way. Hi. Nice to be back. Glad you're here. Everyone, take a seat. Glad to be joined by the great Chris Hauselt, producing our show from South Carolina. The great Thea Harper produces our show from Brooklyn, and we will be here with you for the next three hours with some terrific guests. There's a lot to cover. Bono and Jimmy Carter and Amnesty International and Oprah and Pope Francis have all called on the U.N. to intervene in the senseless slaughter of Ron DeSantis' political career by Gavin Newsom on Fox News last night. Whoa, did you watch any of it? Did you get to see any of it? I wouldn't say that Gavin Newsom debated Ron DeSantis. I would say Gavin Newsom toyed with him, uh, pummeled him, made him submit, then mounted him like in the prison yard, then ate him, and then sent photos of him being eaten to his grandchildren. It was, oh, it was the kind of humiliation that Lindsey Graham pays male escorts to make him really feel, you know? So we'll talk about that. We, if you missed it, we have the highlights, and it's really worth listening to. It's even better if you can see it as well, because Ron DeSantis was not having a comfortable evening in his human costume last night. Also, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Texas must remove dangerous floating barriers from the Rio Grande. Because that's what they've done, folks. They put barbed wire, razor wire in the Rio Grande River to lacerate and murder migrants who try to cross into this country for a better life. Why? Because that's what good Christians do. Jesus commanded you to welcome the stranger, but you know, the Bible is one long game of telephone tag. It existed in the oral tradition, finally written down, translated from Hebrew to Aramaic, Latin, Greek, finally English. So these things evolve a bit. Jesus said, welcome the stranger. Governor Greg Abbott heard, put razor wire in the Rio Grande. Also, Elon Musk has scared away more sponsors than Andy Dick at Betty Ford. As you well know, the ceasefire between Israel and Hamas ended as soon as our show ended last night with IDF military strikes beginning after Hamas reportedly reneged on key aspects of the negotiations. 
We also just found out today Donald Trump is not immune from prosecution for his attempt to subvert the 2020 election. This is a big story. I've been saying for a long time there are going to be seven trials against Donald Trump next year, the four big criminal trials, two state, two federal, and then the E. Jean Carroll trial, the the pyramid scheme trial, the the Alvin Bragg trial, the civil trials. Now, well, there might be a lot more lawsuits because any American who may have been harmed by what he did can now sue him. (laughs) Judge Tanya Tukin ruled that his term as president does not serve as a shield against charges that he sought to defraud and disenfranchise millions of Americans. If Donald Trump tried to throw out your vote (laughs) on January 6th, start your lawsuits. The judge said in a 48-page opinion, defendant's four-year service as commander-in-chief did not bestow on him the divine right of kings to evade the criminal accountability that governs his fellow citizens. Also, a 70-year-old Ugandan woman has now given birth to twins after a fertility treatment. Yes, making her one of the world's oldest new mothers. Congratulations, Safina Namakwaya, who gave birth to a boy and a girl on Wednesday via cesarean section in the capital Kampala of Uganda. 70 with twins. I'm going to keep on telling you, your week is better than you thought. And tonight, John Nichols is going to be here from The Nation to help wrap up the week and wrap up Henry Kissinger. Plus, uh, our open phones all night long at 866-997-GRIT. And journalist Ben Stockton with a fascinating story on the deeply crooked pro-fossil fuel angles of the COP28 climate summit. And I want to remind you, Jimmy Carter has already outlived Ronald Reagan, and George Bush and Richard Nixon. He's outlived Gerald Ford, Leonid Brezhnev, Henry Kissinger, Ayatollah Khomeini. Jimmy Carter outlived Saddam Hussein, Donald Rumsfeld, Roger Ailes, Dick Cheney's first heart, and Donald Trump's soul. Let's do a show. George Santos has been expelled from Congress. The first House member in history to be ousted without having been convicted of a crime or having supported the Confederacy. But he supported Trump, so you kind of you're kind of Confederate adjacent. Now the Senate has expelled 15 members in its history. 14 of those were related to support for the Confederacy, but very few in the history of your House of Representatives. Uh, in 1861, John Clark, a Democrat from Missouri, was the first member of the House to ever be expelled. He was a Brigadier General in the Missouri State Guard. But he led his unit uh, against Union fighters in the Battle of Carthage. And he went on to serve in both the Confederate States, House, and Senate. So John Clark kicked out. Henry Burnett was a Kentucky Democrat. He served four terms in the House. And he was expelled for treason. He was a colonel in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. John Reed. Haha. It was expelled from the House uh, after he had resigned from Congress four months earlier. He was another Missouri Democrat, and he was voted out of the House in December 1861 for disloyalty to the Union. But again, he'd only served in office for four months. Then he resigned, joined the Confederacy, and they kicked him out anyway for good measure. Very nice. Fast forward uh, 140 years to Michael Myers. Remember him? That Michael Myers? October 1980. Michael Ozzie Myers, Democrat, again, of Pennsylvania, was the first member in either chamber of Congress to be expelled since the Civil War. This is part of Abscam. He was convicted of accepting a $50,000 bribe from federal agents posing as representatives of Arab sheiks. 
And uh, Myers had promised to introduce private immigration bills and take steps to help the sheiks enter and remain in the U.S. And then, of course, most recently, another Democrat kid, stand up and cheer, Jim Traficant. I remember this one. I'm old enough for this one or young enough for it. Uh, 21 years ago, Democrat of Ohio. He was voted out by a 420 to 1 margin. July of 2002, two months after he was convicted of 10 counts of bribery, racketeering, and corruption. He later got sentenced to eight years in prison. He died in 2014 um, at the age of 73. So today, George Santos, the pride of Long Island, was expelled from the House in a bipartisan vote over his many fabrications on the 2022 campaign trail and his federal indictments. Keep in mind, he's the first one ever kicked out, not for being a traitor, without being convicted in a court of a crime. Only the third lawmaker and the first Republican to be expelled from the House since the Civil War. Now, the resolution required a two-thirds majority, and it passed. 311 votes to expel, including 105 Republicans. All the allegations you've heard of fraud, the credible evidence of it. But here's the amazing thing. Nearly half of House Republicans voted to expel him, which does risk their caucus's chances to pass legislation this year, and keep the majority next year. Two things I am not sure they're planning on doing. But most of the Republicans voted to keep him. Oh yeah, he's pled not guilty to 23 federal fraud charges, but he hasn't been tried yet. There was a previous attempt to expel him by members of his own party. That failed because the senior Democrats voted no. But after the report from the House Ethics Committee, a lot more Democrats and a lot more Republicans said yes. Now, Mike Johnson, the current speaker, tried to talk him into resigning. Santos wouldn't do it. But Mike Johnson, interestingly enough, voted not to expel. And he didn't try to whip his party into line. They kind of just let him go. What do you think about it? I've said for a long time, I really think that the Democrats dropped the ball. You should try to keep a guy like this in the House and let him be something you fundraise off of. But it's pretty incredible that Mike Johnson and the entire House Republican leadership pushed to keep this guy. 105 Republicans said, no, Mike Johnson, we disagree. So his expulsion was effective immediately. He was required to leave the House floor, pack up and exit. They have already changed the locks on his office door. And Kevin McCarthy, who tried to manage Santos during the nine months he was the speaker, he tried to protect Santos, wanted him to stay. But today, Kevin McCarthy voted to oust him. New York Times report last winter showed that Santos had lied about so much of his resume, lied about his mother being killed on 9-11, lied about his family escaping the Holocaust, lied about being Jewish. You know all the lies. Well, now he's going to lose his salary and he's going to lose his health coverage. And he's got a lot of legal battles coming up. His trial in September is on all these different financial crimes, and he's got a bit of a problem with debt right now. He didn't stick around in Congress long enough to start getting that pension they enjoy so much. But why did they do it? Why the Republicans finally cut him loose? Well, turns out they have their reasons. Here's Congressman David Joyce, Republican of Ohio, earlier today telling CNN what was the final straw that convinced House Republicans to get rid of George Santos. Yeah, look, it took good journalism to reveal a lot of these things. It wasn't until the New York Times story came out that most Americans first learned uh, about all of this. Can you tell me what you think swung the vote at the end? There actually seemed to be some momentum for keeping him in office in the, in the minutes and hours before the actual vote. Was there one thing that you think made the difference? 
Uh, you know, that's true. And yesterday, I'd have bet it the number would have been 150 uh, voting for expulsion. And uh, today, the number was about 105, I believe, and 112 voting to keep him here. But uh, you know, the, one of the uh, members came forward yesterday at the end of the talk, and then today came forward and put out the email for those who may not understood of where he was coming from, and explained that not only he but his mother were ripped off by this campaign. And so when you start ripping off other members, if that's not enough to convince people that maybe you shouldn't be here, well, then I don't know what it's going to take. Are you talking about your, your, your Ohio colleague, Max Miller, that, that his statement you think made the difference there? You know, and, and so and I'd have guessed that we were dropping from 150 to about 80 or so, 70. And I think Max's last-minute uh, email to all, all the members determined the outcome for him because a lot of us said, oh, that you know, they may not have believed uh, my investigative report. Sorry about that. But they believed Max that uh, when it came personally from him that he was ripped off, his mother was ripped off, and that he had to spend money then to defend himself against the FBC's allegations. You got that? Did you catch what he said right there? To me, what he said speaks to the primary core difference between the group of people we call liberals in this country right now and the group of brothers and sisters we call conservatives in this country right now. Allow me to make a very vulgar generalization. And I've made it before, but but um, uh, I speak generally. There's a lot of exceptions to this rule. But here's the difference between liberals and conservatives. Did you catch what he said was finally the reason that it broke the camel's back? Why the Republicans finally decided to cut George Santos loose? It was not because of his crimes. It was not because he stole from his donors. It was not because he stole from a veteran with a dying dog he falsely raised money for. It's not because of the sexual harassment charges against him. No, 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 no. It's because they found out he was ripping off one of their own. What? He, yeah, he was using the scam to rip off another Republican congressman because he ripped off everyone who donated to him. But one of them was a Republican congressman and his mom. And that's the difference, friends. It's something I call one degree of separation. You know, uh, liberals, generally speaking, care about people they don't know. Liberals will care about people they will never meet. Liberals will want to have more common sense gun laws. Because they care about Americans they'll never know not getting shot. Same with student loan debt forgiveness, wanting to have a decent kind of safety net with SNAP, with unemployment benefits. Liberals care about people they don't know. And far too often conservatives, well, it's got to be one degree of separation. It's got to happen to someone they know first. There'll be homophobes like Rob Porter, senator from Ohio who wrote the Defense of Marriage Act, was the most devoted homophobe in the Congress until his son came out as gay. And Congressman Portman realized, oh my God, I, I don't hate gay people, I love them. Here's my own son. Because it happened to him. One degree of empathy. Someone he cared about. Suddenly then, he dropped the homophobia, and he stopped supporting the Defense of Marriage Act, which he had written. That's what we just heard. They were really not too put off by the fact that this man was defrauding American citizens and Republican donors. But he went after one of our own. Well, that's a bridge too far. One degree of empathy. Among the New York delegation, 22 members voted to expel him. Three New York Republicans voted no. And those would be the House Republican Conference Chair, Claudia Tenney, George Santos himself, and of course, Elise Stefanik. 
So now Republicans can only afford to lose three Republican votes and pass legislation that Democrats oppose. That's it. They're trapped. Life's going to get harder now. They lost it. Now they've only got a three-seat advantage. Or, or, here's a crazy idea, Republicans, if you feel bad about that, uh, one thing you could do, and it's going to kind of sound a bit out there, but please just hear me out on this, you could work with Democrats, like, to keep our government open. You could work with Democrats to improve the lives of non-millionaires. I know, it's crazy. That'll get you primaried. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is now required by state law to proclaim a special election within 10 days of Santos's seat becoming vacant, with the election being held between 70 and 80 days later. And at least 16 candidates have already filed to run for Santos's seat. And by the way, I just want to give a shout out to um, a local newspaper on Long Island. As someone who grew up on the North Shore of Long Island, reading local news. Thank you to the North Shore Leader, which is a very small Long Island paper that was the only paper way before the Times that broke the story of this guy's fraud before the election. The North Shore Leader is the unsung hero in today's historic expulsion from Congress, and they prove why local print media is important and has to be supported and not ignored. Thank you. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. And also, we said goodbye to Sandra Day O'Connor, the uh, trailblazing daughter of a rancher from Arizona who became the first woman to serve on the Supreme Court. At one point, she was the most powerful woman in America. She was often the swing vote in 5-4 decisions. And I think she was one of the last real conservatives on the Supreme Court. That is, someone who was wrong about something, but not batshit crazy. A real conservative. She put George W. Bush in the White House with the 5-4 Bush v. Gore decision, but she also protected legalized abortion. She protected race-based affirmative action in college admissions. She protected McCain-Feingold campaign finance reform. At least she did until she left, and then they got more conservative justices who overturned all of that. But Sandra Day O'Connor also helped overturn state bans on gay sex. She emphasized states' rights, of course, for better or worse, and she clarified the importance of the separation of church and state. She helped define the Americans with Disabilities Act and freedom of speech. Ronald Reagan nominated her in 1981, fulfilling his campaign pledge to name a woman to the high court. Joe Biden promised to name a black woman to the Supreme Court. That upset people, but not that Reagan promised to hire a woman. And she served through 2006. She died at age 93. And it's, again, amazing. She was conservative and supported by Ronald Reagan, but she supported abortion rights for the most part. She said an entire generation has come of age with it. And here's something I just found out today. William Rehnquist, who was chief justice for much of the time she was on the court, they were classmates together at Stanford and they dated in school and Rehnquist once even proposed to her. Rehnquist was a segregationist. So I I know I should be saying critical things of Sandra Day O'Connor, but I'm kind of exhausted from telling too much truth about Henry Kissinger the day he died. Let me just say, Sandra Day O'Connor, you turned down a proposal from that white supremacist chief justice? Well played, madam. Well played. We're at 866-997-GRIT, and we'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with your calls and the great John Nichols. Hour number two is completely open with just your calls. Let's make sense of the week we just got through. And if you had told me the great deaths in threes this week would be (laughs) Henry Kissinger, Sandra Day O'Connor, 
and Shane McGowan from the Pogues. Well, irony is the one religion that will never let you down. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. We are back. I'm John Fugel saying thank you so much for joining us this evening, wrapping up this week. I'm so glad you're all still here, and that I'm still here too. This was a bit of a crazy one, and I could not be happier than to wrap it up with one of my favorite journalists, someone who, honestly, there's very few people I'll say this about. I try to read everything this guy puts out. John Nichols is the National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation. He's a contributing writer for The Progressive and In These Times, and the Associate Editor of Madison, Wisconsin's Capital Times. He's written many terrific books, the most recent of which is Coronavirus, Criminals, and Pandemic Profit. Tears. I trust this guy on pretty much everything. John Nichols, welcome back to SiriusXM. Happy first day of December. Happy last day of George Santos. Well, let us uh, assume it's the last day of George Santos. You never know with this guy. He's uh, well, true. I can't wait to not watch his show on OAN next year. But I, I think it's yeah. the last day of George Santos as a public servant. Shall we say that? I, I, I would. I cannot imagine the situation in which he would get elected to something else. Um, but I will say that, you know, I was toggling between a lot of news yesterday, a lot of things going on. And Santos's uh, defense of himself on the floor was yeah. quite remarkable. That was in what uh, way? Um, well, he had come prepared to attack the people that attacked him. Yeah. And so uh, somebody would, you know, say something detailed about what what he had done wrong the ethical issues stuff like that and he would say well that's pretty rich coming from a woman beater yeah he said and and so it was a it was sort of a remarkable performance for lack of a better uh better better way of of looking at it and and he um i i know that that this will seem on but in that in that performance right in his defense of himself you saw a little bit of why and how he got as far as he did. 
How so? The sheer chutzpah and force of yeah. will he has? Yeah. 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 I mean, quite honestly, he yeah. was uh, he he stood his ground there and and it was clearly going to go bad for him. Right. The Democrats weren't going to vote for him or. 99% of Democrats weren't going to vote for him. The Republicans, clearly there was a substantial portion that were ready to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet he, he, you know, he he marshaled a little bit of energy for it. His defense was, I mean, it was, it wasn't a defense, really. It was, it was just sort of a, uh, an effort to, to go out standing, I guess. Um, and then yeah. it's quite remarkable. I'm learning a lot about Congress, right? I, I you know, covered Congress over the years, um, and I'm learning a yeah. lot. For instance, if you get expelled, they change the lock on your door that afternoon. Did you see that video? Immediately they changed the lock on that door. I hope he didn't leave yeah. anything valuable behind. Yeah, probably just some sweaters, I suppose. But um, but <laughs> some sweaters no, I and mean, his reputation. That's about it. Uh, you know, but but it's it, it's it's one of those little intricacies of the Capitol, right, that you that I don't know about. But but that assuming that the the janitorial staff, the engineering staff have a protocol for this. Well, and, speaking of protocol, what does it say that this particular modern GOP and Congress believe in um, expelling government officials and disqualifying them from office before they've actually been convicted in a court of law. To me, that's a pretty nifty revelation this week. I mean, if anything, it's probably the biggest revelation this week next to um, Donald Trump wants Republicans to really care about what the wives of judges do. Someone tell Ginny Thomas about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it just seems like of, it seems like it's precedent. Yeah, there's a lot of lack of reflection there on, on uh, the Constitution, uh, particularly the 14th Amendment, Section 3. Um, and, and I, I think that, that what you got into here was one of those situations where, as Jamie Raskin has pointed out, it's a complex thing when you're, when you are removing people who are under indictment, not convicted, right? That, that then puts a lot of power into the ethics committee to actually come up with a profound argument that, that bad Mm -hmm. stuff is and that it's so bad you've got to get rid of this person i think they did a pretty good job of it a, a striking job of it but but it sure yeah uh, it i do think that you know you've got all that element and then the the real element here is politics right this there was a a sense on the part of i think a substantial portion of the republican caucus that uh santos was a both a, a problematic figure polit- you know because of his actions, but also very problematic politically. And they, Indeed. their caucus has had, I mean, just look at this year. It, it's almost jaw dropping when you think about it. This is, it, it, can you imagine, we're not done with the year yet. And we, you know, this is a year that started with Kevin McCarthy having to fight his way into the speakership, right? And that seems like oh, yeah. incredible ancient history. And now we've gone through this whole year of, you know, basically scandal upon scandal, controversy upon controversy, internal wrangling on top of internal wrangling, nothing getting done um, to the point where there was that. And I'm sure you've seen it. Many of your very smart listeners, the epic speech by Chip Roy, the congressman from Texas, oh, yeah. who got on the floor and said, you know, what have we accomplished? And and that's that's a key member of the caucus saying that they have. But, but if I may, John, he, he's. Yeah. But but he said we've done nothing in context of arguing for a government shutdown. I think we need to right. provide that caveat. He was he was arguing why we should shut down the government because we haven't done enough this year for our constituents. So let's destroy it. 
It was a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that Chip Roy's arguments were incredibly grounded in, in. No, know, no. It's my favorite out of context soundbite of the year. <laughs> it is. But I think it would also spoke, you know, one thing about Chip Roy is that he's a, a veteran uh, Capitol Hill guy, right? He was a aide to Ted Cruz and, you know, he's been around there for a long, long time. And, and I do think that from his very right wing perspective, he was looking at all this and saying, you know, we have power, but we're not doing anything with it. And in part, yeah. that is because we can't we can't get along with each other, number one, but we also can't get beyond this sort of like, you know, slow rolling catastrophe, right, of, you know, highlighted <laughs> the fact that you got George Santos as one of the key members of your caucus. And you got another guy taken off to become the the chancellor of the university or uh, I think it's Ohio State at Youngstown. And that's going to take them mm-hmm. down another member of their caucus. And so you, there's so much politics rolling around this because there is this question of how close do they get with still a year more to go to a situation yeah. where they may not have their majority. Well, that's actually what surprised me the most about this. And I've been talking about this a lot, John, and I'm in a minority on this, and I know my opinion is not popular, but that's never stopped me before. Um, I'm a bit surprised that so many Democrats voted to get rid of Mr. Santos. I think he was worth a lot more to them in the seat than out of the seat. Why not let him be an albatross over this party for the entire election year, be the face of the party? And why not fundraise off of this guy instead of just getting him out there and having someone inoffensive, you know, so you'll only be behind three votes instead of four. I think the Democrats might have had a lot more mileage out of keeping this guy in in office to be a drag on the GOP. I guess they just decided it wasn't worth it. And let's just get rid of him now. No, I think, you know, like, I mean, you've got one other element, too, if they could have only pumped up his ego a little bit. So he decided to run for reelection. Because, yeah, un- unfortunately, exactly he would have been the easiest person if he got the nomination, which I think would have been very unlikely. But if he were, he'd be the easiest Republican to beat in that district. So there's a whole bunch right. of reasons right. why you might want to keep him around. But I, you know, look, Congress is an odd body there. There are people who actually not all of them by any means, but there are actually people who kind of sit down and, you know, some point in the evening, I guess, and think. You know, it's kind of amazing to be in this in this place that was created, you know, 1787 and its aftermath and has all this history in that. And, and you know, I, I suspect that there are a number of members who actually thought, both Republicans and Democrats, that it was kind of the right thing to do, you know, that you, you've got. Yeah, someone, I think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> I and, so and, too. I, and, and I know that's it's, it's an odd thing to say about politicians. But uh, I do think that, you know, especially on things like this, this is kind of a judgment call, right? Because you're right, you can play a lot of politics on it on all sides. But I suspect that, you know, in listening to some of the speeches, and I actually did yesterday, um, yeah. there were some pretty sincere speeches about, you know, what, what Congress ought to be. Now, the odd thing was some of them were coming from members who, you know, I'm not really sure have a full perspective on on what Congress should be. But at least they, they have a romantic notion. Nice. John, I want to shift to a, a another kind of public statesman that departed the scene, and that would be Henry Kissinger. Um, yeah. And w- I got to be honest, as soon as you as soon as we got the word that Kissinger had finally left the building and 
run out of his supply of true blood. I told Chris we have to try to get John on to talk about this. Before I do, let me play you the clip we played the night he died by Senator Bernie Sanders from the famous debate with uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton in 2016. We played this that night because I think this... The, the the impact of this soundbite now, seven years later, is why we haven't seen too many Democrats posting chummy selfies with the late uh, Dr. Kissinger. Here is Bernie Sanders in 2016. The secretary and I have a very profound difference. In the last debate, and I believe in her book, very good book, by the way, in her book and in this last debate, she talked about getting the approval or the support or the mentoring of Henry Kissinger. Now, I find it rather amazing, because I happen to believe that Henry Kissinger was one of the most destructive secretaries of state in the modern history of this country. I am proud to say that Henry Kissinger is not my friend. I will not take advice from Henry Kissinger. And in fact, Kissinger's actions in Cambodia when the United States bombed that country, overthrew Prince Sihanouk, you know, created the instability for Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge to come in, who then butchered some three million innocent people, one of the worst genocides in the history of the world. So count me in as somebody who will not be listening to Henry Kissinger. Now, between our friend uh, Bernie Sanders and friend of the show, Anthony Bourdain, there were a couple of really good obituaries written of Kissinger before he died. But, John, I've been dying to get you on to talk about it. And by the way, John references this in his new piece for the nation. That time Bernie Sanders told America, I am proud to say that Henry Kissinger is not my friend. First off, he was only 100. Were you surprised? Um, no, I, you know, I've been following him pretty closely, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the I vaccine, John. I heard he had the vaccine and the booster. That's got to be what took him. I'm just saying. Oh, well, look, I followed it pretty close. I got my calendar, right? You know, <laughs> checking off the days. Um, and you'll recall that I, I I knew Christopher Hitchens pretty well. That's right. And That's right. Hitchens wrote The Trial of Henry Kissinger, an amazing mm-hmm. book back now, more than 20 years, you know, decades yes. ago. And, and the interesting thing was, this is why the Sanders clip that you played is such a big deal, Right. Because there was no question that in cult, in the cultural world, in the intelligentsia, but also I think in uh, in, in in a lot of the the kind of common parlance, people had decided Henry Kissinger was a very bad guy, right? Yeah. And so you had Hitchens's book, you had Bourdain's incredibly powerful statements about uh, Kissinger and saying, you know, look, if you've been to Cambodia, you kind of want to strangle a guy, right? That's right. And and so you had this in the popular culture, but it didn't cross over into the politics, right? That you still had that that sort of um, political politeness, if you will, where even though you know Kissinger had been primarily associated with Republicans along the way, Democrats were sort of well, he's a really you know smart guy and stuff Always. like this. Yeah, and to his and, credit, Kissinger cultivated that. Kissinger made himself an essential advisor to Democratic presidents. I mean, he had a skill in that sense. Well, he also made himself an essential lobbyist, right? You know, uh, good enough. Good a, point. A political fixer, if you will, for corporate power and for yes. um, and a, a lot of interests as regards free trade, a whole bunch of other things. But here's the interesting thing. Sanders got up there on that stage. And I happened to have been in the room at the time. I was covering that debate. It was in Milwaukee. And it, there was it was 
going to be primarily a foreign policy debate. And this was rare. You know, you don't do this very often. We should do it more. And in that debate, again and again, Sanders showed a part of himself that was pretty remarkable. He really knows the the history of America's misdeeds in the world. And there were several points where he kind of detailed all sorts of things that had been done. But then they got to this Kissinger component. And the the interesting thing is you played a, a short clip there. He said what he said. And then Hillary Clinton came back at him quite mm-hmm. strong. And she's she's a smart political figure. She said, um, well, I don't agree with Kissinger on everything, but I take advice from all quarters and stuff like this. I want to hear a lot of voices. And Kissinger had always played for that. Right. The yeah. notion that yeah. he'd at least be a he'd be in the room and be a, a counselor of some kind. And Sanders came back on that even stronger. He did. On right. the domino theory, right? Right. And 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 also, you know, that's where at the end of the, the discourse, he had gone into Kissinger's later role in life, which was as a fixer for a lot of corporate interests around the world and for basically neoliberalism, right? The, a, a prime advocate for it. And how yes. at one time Kissinger had been the great critic of China and now suddenly was, you know, supporting trade deals and, and arrangements and agreements that, you know, were, in, in Sanders's view, quite beneficial to China. And it was just a, it was, uh, it was an exceptionally rare moment in, in American presidential debates, because you actually got into something that was kind of deep and significant, and it talked about the kind of permanent political class and the yeah. problems with it. And I think, as you say, I think after Sanders did that, there were, there's a lot of political players who were like, ooh, Okay, got it. I'm not the gonna dam go was broken. Yeah. I'm not gonna go down that avenue anymore. Yes, the spell was broken. Yeah. yeah. I mean Kissinger complained, uh, I believe last year, that Joe Biden was the first president since Eisenhower that did not invite him to the White House. And I'm like, you know what? Keep giving me more reasons to like Joe Biden at this point. Go right ahead, Kissinger. Give me a reason to. I mean, John, uh, obviously we're gonna be told by a lot of folks it's the wrong time to speak ill of the dead. They always do it, and I my heart goes out to his loved ones who are grieving right now, but it's important we don't pussyfoot around what this man's legacy was. It's important, is it not? that while we wish his soul a safe journey, we can't play dumb about the amount of human destruction wrought by this man's choices. Right. I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, depending on your religious tradition, you can, you can, you know, pray for his soul, right? You can hope it, hope, he, hope that in some afterlife, you know, that, that, uh, that he comes to some better place, right? You know, better, yeah. better thinking. But the fact is that in his life, in, his, in the, the years of his life, his practical choices, right, rooted in not ideology so much as in a, a, a sort of philosophy about how government of the United States should operate mm-hmm. that was so, A, destructive, as Sanders said in that, in that clip, but also definitional, which was very problematic, right? He defined... You know, the the end of the Cold War and in many ways, the rise of the neoliberal era. Right. And that combination was, I mean, you know, it's really good for Kissinger and and the people who are associated with him, perhaps. But it was very, very bad for countries around the world and many countries around the world. And as I think Sanders was trying to the point Sanders trying to make in that in that comment 
also very bad for American workers and for right. American communities. And so I, I think you can talk about that. And and one of the things that I would argue is that when we when we do obituaries, right? When we when we talk about someone's history, it, it is important to give the full history, right? Yeah. It isn't you're not there to beat somebody up. I mean, some people may Correct. and they delight in that, that's whatever. But the obituary in politics and in life and in general is a, a place where we, we make an assessment. And until the historians come in, you know, some at some point down the line, that assessment is very, very significant because it's one of the rare points at which the great mass of people are going to reflect on this person. Right. And they're going to reflect yeah. positively, negatively. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that we're in this moment. Right. We have in a very short amount of time, a matter of days, lost Mrs. Carter, yeah. right? And and there's been a lot of, of reflection on her service. And, on, and I think it coming out very positive. And now we've lost Sandra Day O'Connor, the former justice of the Supreme Court. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of reflection on her. And, and one of the things with O'Connor is there'll be, it will be, I think, largely a positive reflection. But she, in my opinion, voted the wrong way on Bush v. Gore, which yeah. was one of the critical cases before the court. And, and, an assessment of all that gives us perspective. And those of us and, and, who know we are imperfect, and I you may not know that for yourself because obviously you're you're so stellar, but some of yeah, us are yeah, pretty yeah. clear. Some of us are pretty clear we've got some deep imperfections, right? We, well, uh, yeah, all, yeah. And by the way, I just want to so point out we ma we made a point on the show yesterday to acknowledge détente with Russia. We made a point to talk yeah. about the salt talks, to talk about opening up China for Nixon. There were things Henry Kissinger did, no That's doubt, exactly right. that did help civilization while acknowledging that there are arguably millions of humans dead because of his choices. That's the thing. And and look, the Cold War in itself is such a complexity, right? Because the Cold War was not a, not a global war at a time of nuclear weapons, right? You know, if you watched Oppenheimer, you're well aware of the fears that people had. And yeah. so you had a Cold War, you did not end up with the complete burning of the planet, right? The complete destruction of everything. And yet you have to ask yourself the compromises made in that, in that period, right? By the United States and the Soviet Union were often so ugly, so awful that in many ways, I think they, they laid the seeds for so much of the division and so many of the challenges that we have to this day. And so mm -hmm. I, I think we have to recognize that. Right. That, that I agree. Point to things that were you can point to things that were good and that's fine to do. But what you also have to recognize is that these people had an immense amount of power for a very, very long time. And yes. yet somehow, if we look back on it, it's pretty much Jimmy Carter, you know, the guy who they didn't like very much was the one guy who actually got a little bit of Middle East peace going. Boom. Yeah, exactly right. And created more jobs than Reagan, too. Um, John, we're almost out of time. We've only got about a minute or so left, but I would be most remiss if I didn't point out you have an excellent piece in The Nation out today called American Discourse Needs More, Mehdi Hassan, yeah. Not Less. As many folks know by now, Mehdi Hassan's uh, Sunday evening show has been canceled on MSNBC. They're still keeping him on as a, as a guest host. And for a final minute or two, if you just have some thoughts uh, from your excellent piece about it. My thought is that that Mehdi Hassan, um, who I've known over the years, and I think you have as well, um, mm -hmm. was perhaps the best interviewer of the modern era, and certainly in the United States. And and in in a sense, it was because he brought a a British sensibility to it, 
And that is not to say, I happen to think you're a brilliant interviewer and I love your knowledge and your skills and, and your style. And there are others who are really, really good. But what made Mehdi Hassan stand out was that he would bring people onto his show, sometimes for very extended amount of time, yes. people he disagreed with, right? Yep. And let and it breathe. He did. He would give them a lot of time to talk and make their cases. But then he would he had so much knowledge and so much skill as a host that he was able to actually, you know, I think move the needle, if you will. Um, that once this interview was done, you're like, wow, okay, I have a different perspective here and um, or a, a deeper perspective. And so I think that the loss of him, a lot of people are talking about the loss of him in the context of Israel, Palestine, Gaza, which is exactly. significant because he was a critic of uh, the approach of the United States to uh, to Gaza, to, to some of these issues. And that's very relevant and not to be dismissed. But I would also tell you that I think journalism lost something, right? Yeah. And this this notion of what can cable be? What can cable television be? And and I think that he showed us when he was hosting, I think he showed us some examples of what it can be. He's not the only one. There are other great hosts. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to say he was the only good, you know, shining light. But what I will say is he is someone who really did do it with a skill that yes. that should have gotten him more time, right? He should have ended up with more nights hosting, not less. That's right. John Nichols, it is always a great pleasure to have you on this show. It's a blessing. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your many doings, sir? The Nation site is usually good. Um, I'm writing a lot and uh, and trying to keep trying to keep ahead of everything. My biggest problem these days is uh, some days I don't even know which direction to go because there's I so know. many amazing developments. But do <laughs> our best. About it. Luckily, I have a times. lot of tremendous colleagues that that do the do the other stories, and so hopefully we fill fill all the voids. John, I'm always grateful to have you. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. I'm honored to be with you, John, and, and you are the best interviewer. Ah, stop it. We'll be right back with everybody's calls for the next hour at Progress. Don't go away. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying welcome to it. Let's have some fun with this. Uh, maybe you missed it last night, but somebody convinced Ron DeSantis it would be a real good idea to go on Sean Hannity and have a debate against California Governor Gavin Newsom. And thank God Ron DeSantis takes the bait. Recklessly unaware how easy something like a closing statement could become a dagger in a bloodbath. Folks, I'd love to play you the entire thing, but the UN Human Rights Commission is still investigating this for a war crime. So I'm just going to play a few bits of it throughout the hour. Here's Gavin Newsom with his closing statement. And, and I want to answer that very directly. I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm, I'm here uh, to tell the truth about the Biden-Harris record and also compare and contrast 
Ron DeSantis's record and the Republican Party's record as a point of contrast that's as different as daylight and darkness. You want to bring us back to a pre-1960s world, America in reverse. Uh, you want to roll back hard-earned national rights on voting rights, on civil rights, on LGBTQ rights, on women's rights, not just access to abortion, but also access to contraception. You want to weaponize grievance. You are focusing on false separateness. You in particular, Ron, are on a banning binge, a cultural purge, intimidating and humiliating people you disagree with. You and President Trump are really trying to light democracy on fire. So, Sean, there are profound differences tonight, and I look forward to engaging. But there's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. Oh, oh, now that was just the closing of his opening statement. From there on, folks, it was a bloodbath. If this was, if this had been a boxing match, the ref would have called it after the first break. Let me play, let me play one more clip and then we'll get to some calls. But here they answer a question about Joe Biden's mental faculties. And in other words, it's the toughest job in the world. Is Joe Biden experiencing this uh, cognitive decline? Is it a danger to the country? Do you find when he speaks, what is your reaction to it? Yes, he's in decline. Yes, it's a danger to the country. He has no business running for president. And, you know, Gavin Newsom agrees with that. He won't say that. That's why he's running his shadow campaign. Uh, He should not be running. Uh, He is not up to the job. uh, And it is dangerous for this country. Well, I'll take I will take Joe Biden at 100 versus Ron DeSantis any day of the week at any age. In fact, all so of the you folks think, you think on the he's campaign up to the job? Scale. You think he's Absol- 100%? I've been spending 100%? plenty of time with Joe 100%? Biden in okay. private and public. Answer. You don't know. And by the way, results matter. Inflation now is down to 3.2%. Wages are up to 4.4%. The economy is booming. 5.2% GDP okay. growth in the last quarter. Those are facts you don't hear on Fox News. 14 million jobs, 10 times Let more than the last Let me move on. Three. That was the light. And there's Hannity cutting him off. That's the reason why you should go on Fox News, because if you're there and it's live, you can deliver the truth and they can't cut it. Beautiful thing. We'll play more of that over the next hour. In the meantime, let's go to the calls, shall we? 866-997-4748. Stephen in Virginia on Line 8. Thank you so much for waiting. Welcome and happy last day of Santos to you. Uh, And to you as well, John, and to all who celebrate. How are you? Thank you so much. Very good. Thank you. How are you? Uh, great. It's a it's a real pleasure to be on your show. I've listened for a long time and never called in before. And, well, thank you. Uh, and I've been aware of you since the VH1 days. Ah, nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. Very grateful to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, first of all, as as far as George Santos is concerned, I I was looking up a few facts about him so that I could dunk on him better, and uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe it had only been a year. I would have sworn. It had been three years that he was elected in 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Each month has just dragged by like cement. They have crammed a lifetime of mediocrity into one year. It's true. (laughs) You and your uh, your guest, Mr. Nichols, kind of hit on this. You were talking about his, you know, Newsmax opportunities down the line. And I'm very (laughs) cynical about this. I think you're right. And I think it's why whenever I see footage of Santos walking around those halls, uh, he's he's grinning. He looks yeah. very self-satisfied, and I think he knows he's not going to go away. And if it's not Newsmax or OAN, it'll be the masked singer or uh, some <laughs> sort of a dancing. Sh- 
there are undoubtedly there are opportunists swimming around him right now and screenwriters. Yeah, but he's going to have a tough time. I'm sorry. He's going to have a much tougher time than your average Me Too disgraced figure to come back. Because you've got to remember, George Santos, first off, he's a gay immigrant for Trump. So already it's a very narrow... <laughs> narrow slice of mass appeal he's got going for him. But when you've told corrosive lies about the Holocaust and 9-11 and the Pulse shooting in Orlando, I mean, I, I don't really know who the fan base could be at this point. Well, but that's overload. I mean, you're right about those things, and yet they just, they're, it's, it's buckshot. You can't even focus on one thing before another one. <laughs> I takes. know. But the elevator pitch is what you just described as as the gay immigrant for Trump, and that's probably what some screenwriter who wants to turn him into the next Wolf of Wall Street or Catch Me If You Can. That's what I screenplay love. and resuscitate his reputation in a way. It's now it's a quirky story that only could be told in America. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh my God, you're so right. Yeah, it's, and and defrauding everyone. I mean, I think the most yeah. likely uh, outcome is going to be that Mr. Santos goes away for a very, yeah. very long time. And my hope wow. is that this guy can check himself in and get into some, uh, get into some meetings and uh, and get the care he needs uh, <laughs> and the recovery he's going to need because he's. I think he's going to go away for a while. Well, it'd be nice to see somebody finally do some time. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. We'll see. But of course, he'll do time. Donald Trump, other people who did worse things, most likely. I mean, it's like we finally know what the GOP's line is. I'm glad that they are upset about lies from some people. But man, yeah. <laughs> they're upset about his lies and they're going to make Trump the nominee again. It's going to be a very fun year. Yeah. Well, may I just close by saying that uh, I think George Santos is too pretty for prison and um, I guess he probably should be worried. Uh, he's a beautiful man. Thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. Take care. We're at 866-997-4748. Let me go to Brian in Orlando. Uh, oh, Brian in Oregon. I'm so sorry, Brian in Oregon. That's Welcome. Okay. You're on SiriusXM. Hi. Oregon. No, no alligators or giant snakes here. So glad. What's um, up? Uh, well, um, I, I heard uh, parts of that uh, um, Newsom and uh, the Sanders debate on Dean's show. It's just amazing. It's a brilliant way to get uh, the truth out. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, it was so smart for Sa it was so smart for Newsom. It was so smart for Hannity. It was so smart for Fox. And I, I, I think DeSantis thought it was going to be smart for him to get him some juice on the side. So for one night of the cycle, no one will be talking about Trump or Nikki Haley. They'll be talking about him. Uh, I, I think fans of Ron DeSantis enjoyed it. I think the unconverted will not be converted by last night. Well, yeah. Well, uh, it seems to me they <laughs> they're going to talk about the Sanders, but they should be talking about Newsom. Well, they you did. Know. We'll get to some of that too. But um, anyways, um, and Kissinger uh, is another thing that's floating around. What a weirdo! Why do these evil people live so goddamn long? Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, my uh, my um, partner was uh, she's uh, was doing. She's kind of. Uh, child of the 60s and uh was revisiting uh vietnam and all that in the mm -hmm. in needlepoint um oh wow artworks and um okay so anyways we were, we do go to our local pool and she was there's one of the guys that is in our we were swimming laps at that point anyways long story short is he was a pilot in vietnam and i don't know what okay. he did but mm -hmm. he said he didn't want to talk about any, anything and then he, like, stopped on a dime, spun on his heel, came racing back upstairs. But one thing, he, he said, one, 
One guy I'd like to see swinging from a lamppost is Henry Kissinger. Wow. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, just, so I don't know if he was one of the guys that got the false coordinates that they were feeding the pilots. I, I, when I was uh, wow. lost my sight enough to where I had to start realizing I had better start reading books on tape, I read a book called The Sideshow in the okay. early, early 80s. And that's all about Kissinger and Nixon and this whole illegal bombing of uh, Cambodia. And it was called The Breakfast Bombing because they would look at maps over breakfast and um, map out coordinates. And then they'd get, who, I don't know who... I don't remember who was feeding, but the pilots were fed wrong coordinates. They thought they were bombing, you know, legal legal bombing raids or what, over Vietnam, which was ghastly. That's right. Um, so, anyways, it just it was interesting to me that, that that guy spun around and came up and said, "I'd love to see Henry Kissinger swinging from a flagpole." That yeah. son of a bitch. Anyways, and Nixon. Oh, yes, yes, what the chapter has <laughs> turned. The yeah. chapter has turned, and thank God. Um, and right. uh, I and I think yeah, there's a lot going. I think the other thing that uh, about this now switching to uh, Trump and losing okay, real quick because I got a million calls. Tell me really quick, okay, Brian. Yeah, well, on the on the Trump cases that he that where he can't get immunity from uh, prosecution, you know, yeah. civil prosecution and whatnot. Oh, that, he's mad. I think I think that can apply to Scott Perry and all these other people in their districts that were uh, working to overturn basically their whole uh, elections. And in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And these people should be civilly charged uh, and uh, have to defend themselves to their constituents because they were not acting as uh, as their job uh, description, part of the job Right, but do you think they will be? Do you think they will be? Oh, no. Do you think they'd ever be charged? There's a lot of cowards out there that won't do anything. But uh, there might be some really brave activists that would. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, anyways, that's my For- fair fantasy. From your lips, man, I hope that's the case, and I hope you have a lovely weekend. It's great to hear from you. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress. I'm John saying This is Progress After Dark. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Now let me go to Bill from Orlando. Bill, thank you for your patience on hold. You're on SiriusXM Progress. Oh, hey, John. Hey, it's Beachside Bill. How's hey, it going? Hey, Beachside Bill. How are you, sir? Good to have you. Sorry about that. Good, good no to have worries. you. Good Friday night. Good to I, I got it. I, I want to talk about the uh, debate last night, and I'll okay. talk about DeSantis because okay. I'm glad that Gavin Newsom called him out uh, on the e- economics about using Joe Biden's money. You know, he props up the state that's Florida's uh, debt free and all this shit. It's all bullshit. Yeah, but sure I did. want to talk about. Uh, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse. Yesterday, Sheldon Whitehouse, in, he's the Senate. He was in the Senate Budget Committee. Mm-hmm. He comes out and, he, and he's going to investigate citizens' property insurance here in Florida. Now, understand, Sheldon Whitehouse is from Rhode Island, and I love Sheldon Whitehouse, and I'm glad he's doing it. But where the fuck yeah. are my two lazy fucking senators at? I mean, they're <laughs> useless. They're, they're they're fucking useless. I mean, why are they not bringing up here? They live here. They they are fucking useless. I, I have yeah. no. I, uh, why? I I just got dropped by Citizens Insurance, and I've never had a claim on them or anything. And the well, why don't you take a look? At, have you have you taken a look at your senators and seeing which insurance companies they take money from? Because when I heard that White House, who's been on this show, and I, I I'm a fan of his, but that he was asking. 
you know, for insurance documents on how they plan to address the loss from climate-related weather events. I'm like, how are they going to change the subject from this? Yeah. Well, I, I, I too, I'm glad he goes, and Joe Whitehouse, I'm glad he goes after the Supreme Court. That's the, that's, that's the most fascinating thing with him. He, he, is, he is a thorn in their side, right? You yeah. Know, the, oh, uh, yeah. Supreme, he uh, really the is. Supreme Court. Yep. Quickly, John, I want to ask you a music question, and I've been kind of following off and on. What is going on with Hollow Notes behind the scenes there? I know John, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just curious there. What the fuck is going on there? I know he tried to sell some music or what? That's what? It. What? You? That's it. Well, I you know, that. you know that you know that all these you know aging rockers are selling off their catalogs, right? They're selling yeah. off their publishing catalogs, and Bob Dylan did it for like three hundred million. Bruce Springsteen sold his for half a billion dollars. David Crosby, my good friend, God bless him, was able to do it yeah. before he died. So apparently, the deal is that um, Hall and Oates were talking about when they're going to do it, and uh, oh. John Oates, who full disclosure has also been a friend of the show, he wanted to sell his share of their joint venture to this uh, company, Primary Wave. Oates just wanted to sell his own half of it, okay? And so Daryl Hall was not having that, and a judge has just sided with Daryl Hall yesterday. So now there's a restraining order that's blocking John from selling his share to this private music publishing company. Uh, They just did this yesterday in Nashville. Daryl Hall's lawyer was saying that a court order has to put it on sale till a private arbiter can hear the case and decide whether John Oates is even legally allowed to sell his stake just yet. And uh, Oates' attorneys were saying that Daryl Hall's not entitled to any relief at all on this, and Oates should be able to sell his share and let let, uh, let, let Hall sell his. So it's, it's over money, which makes it sad. And that seems to yeah. be the way these things usually well, break I, up. John, I've got Uh-oh. some audio. Yes, of uh, threats that Daryl Hall made. You or don't warnings. say. Yeah, yes, he's because he, he's not going to let him just sneak off and sell these rights. He told him. Right. He's he, he said I've got. <laughs> I think uh, John Oates is just angry because Daryl Hall's been calling him Boy Gary for the last thirty years. <laughs> Probably so, yeah, with Howard Stern, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, quick, quickly, the Stones are coming to Orlando, right, June June 3rd, right? They're going nice. to play the outside stadium, right? You nice. Know, uh, uh, the Citrus Go to that. Bowl. Go see and, it. Go and, see I've it. Go, I should, I, I've seen them four times. Five, this would be number five if I go. But the thing is, with Bruce Springsteen and all that, they play inside the Amway. I go back to this where they're giving money to the DeVos family, all these these. Bruce Springsteen, Pink, uh, Elton John, all this year played inside where they could have played outside. Bruce Springsteen could have uh, played sorry. the same stadium as the Stones. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just putting. I mean, you know, I'd rather I'm, see there. I'd rather see just about any act. Look, of the acts of the bands that are actually can play stadiums and pull it off, it's very few, and it's the Stones, and it's Springsteen, and it's U2, and maybe a handful of yeah. other artists. You know, yeah. I mean, Taylor Swift can do it, sure, but uh, I, I've seen the Stones and Springsteen in both ways, and they're much better to see in arenas instead of stadiums. Anyway, stadiums are too big. Come on, they're just. It's oh just yeah, so I, I, well, I've seen, seen the I've seen the Stones in state in in giant football stadiums most of the time, but the one time I saw them in Madison Square Garden was Light Years, the best show I ever saw. Wow, Light Years, incredible. Yeah. You just you can you can see the band, and when you're in a hockey arena, when you're in a football arena, you, you there's a big TV screen you're watching most of the night. Well, you know this. I saw it's still them. worth it. Go I, go I, see them both. I, I'm going. I'm going to go see them. Absolutely, 
Absolutely, Great. John. Well, anyway, I, while they're alive. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad anyway. to hear it. I, Good. I got 150 gallons Tuesday, blood, so I'll let you know. I'll call you Monday. Congratulations, man. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Keep on giving and giving. This man's given so much blood all at the same time. Thank you so much, Bill. Let's play another. Can we play another clip from the debate last night? This, this is just fun. Here, let's play Gavin Newsom discussing the issue of abortion with Ron DeSantis, which I think DeSantis and Hannity probably thought would be a slam dunk for Ron. Give a listen. Very specific. Do you support any restrictions at all on abortion, especially in months seven, eight, and nine, past viability? I'm going to answer that question, but let's talk about the issue of abortion. Let's talk about the issue of abortion. You're going to answer it? I'm going to answer that question. I'll repeat that. But I think this is important, and it bears repeating. Ron DeSantis signed the most extreme anti-abortion bills in America. He signed a bill banning any exceptions for rape and incest. And then he said it didn't go far enough and decided to sign a six-week ban before women even know they're pregnant, Ron, before women can even access a doctor's appointment. So extreme is your ban that criminalizes women and criminalizes doctors that even Donald Trump said it was too extreme. On the issue of the extreme exception that you highlight as it relates to the issue of later term abortion, it's almost always because of a fetal anomaly, the life of the mother. And in those rare cases, I trust, and answer your question, I trust the mother and her doctor to make that decision. So in other words, I want to be clear on this. If a woman and her doctor, for any reason... Not for any reason. No, 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 no. I'm asking a question, very specific. Anyway, he tried to make it any reason at all, but... Really, it was quite an event. And again, you only get so much from listening to the audio. You have to watch Ron DeSantis' nonstop stream of awkward Stepford wife smiles. I mean, he's like a weird tooth. He's like a. Uh, in the clips, I think he's like a tooth grinding problem. I think he's it's, got there's DMJ something going something. on. I mean, he, he, he verb like facially, he goes through every emotional character from the Disney film Inside Out in about five seconds. He just but like he's angry and scared and sad and and happy but, and 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 the whole time he just looks like his human suit doesn't fit him right. When he's smiling, he does this thing where he's like shifting his lower jaw back and forth. That's it. And I, yeah, and he, I bet you it's like a, he's angry. A, he's been coached a, to smile when he's mad, or it's like a nervous tick that he can't like get you know like it's just like something like a filler it's just it's so noticeable and it's really uh lizard like <laughs> let me go back uh, to the phones donald in ohio on line two thank you so much for your patience happy friday you're on sirius xm yeah hey john hey can you hear me okay yes sir what's up i got a bone to pick with you man Uh-oh. uh oh uh oh no it's good it's good uh okay I'm a truck driver, okay i've been out here thank you um, thank you for your service Traveling across this great country, you're welcome. I go to bed at nine o'clock. That was my normal. You know, I usually try to get some rest, but you got me staying up to midnight. Oh no, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, and I've been listening. I listen to you since you um, you've been on. You know, Thank and, you. well, uh, Stephanie Miller. I, I, I'm a self head. Uh, I um, understand. Well, she's I, the gateway drug. That's the problem with her. I, I could have warned you about her right away. Yeah, I've, I've I've followed her for about almost eighteen years. Nice. I just, I, yeah, and I tell you what, but um, then I got to get up in the morning and um, listen to her. I just um, I tell you what, man, you are a great interviewer. Thank you. I love your, the guests you have on. I just wanted to tell you that. I, I, hey, I love you. 
Oh my God! Thank you. I, I appreciate you, man. I I'm really very do. honored. Thank you. That's a gift. I really. That's very kind of you. I, thank you. Yes, sir. I, I really do. Well, you and are I, welcome I, I, here. I'm honored to have you. Thank you. Yes, and uh, um, keep up the great work, Olivia. I, re- I really, I really appreciate that. It uh, keeps me going out here. Thank you. Where okay. are you tonight? Where Where are you working tonight? I'm stationary right now. I'm I'm away to um, New Jersey. Mm. So um, okay. yeah, yeah, but uh, yep, but I'm well, I here. Hope you, I hope uh-huh. you have a peaceful week. I hope you have a peaceful weekend, and I thank you for uh, for being a trucker and for keeping our country's economy going. I have learned so much respect for your field of work and uh, and for the whole industry. Yeah. So I'm really, really honored by your kind words, man. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Keep up the good work, will you? Right on. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. We're at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT is our number. We'll take another break in a few minutes. Let me go to Lance in New Orleans, who's been on hold forever. Hi, Lance. Welcome. You're on progress. Down goes DeSantis. Down goes DeSantis. Down oh. goes DeSantis. Oh. Dude, <laughs> I saw video. His face changed like it was silly Right. You have to. I'm not doing justice to it. The way the way he's. I mean, every time there's a shot of his face, you can just hear his brain going recalculating, recalculating. And and honestly, I think the Fox News cameraman hurt him as much as Newsom did. I mean, his face looked like it was rebooting like Stephanie Miller's phone system every day. I mean, uh, well, not that violent, but yeah. Okay, I got three quick things real quick. First of all. I'm calling to ask you this question about Joe Biden's climate initiatives and stuff like that. Okay, I just saw a report here on local news about these new electric cars coming out. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. that's supposed to help us with climate change, like the middle class and all of us. You're supposed to be able to afford these cars, right? Uh, once, they they become, show, once they become affordable, yeah. Yeah, because every car they show started at $80,000. Yeah, man, that's it. That's the problem. The price crazy. has got to come down more. Yeah. But you know, but there, but it, but you know that price will be going down, right? Like these vehicles are becoming more popular. People who own electric vehicles are 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 buying more of them. They're not people who buy electric cars don't go back to fossil fuels. And they just announced this week that more than half of the finalists for North America's best car, truck, and SUV are electric, not gasoline. Um, which is the, it's, it's the North American Car, Truck, and Utility Vehicle of the Year awards. And it turns out this year. Uh, electric vehicles make up more than half of the finalists. So uh, it's the early days of this industry still. And you're right, they're far too expensive. But I think as they become more popular, you will see the prices go down. And it just makes sense. Okay. And I'll make you laugh real quick. Okay. okay you know my, my stupid um, Speaker of the House? Yes. Mike Johnson. Yes. Remember last week he, he, he let... Turn loose all those videos, all the videos from January. Oh, 6th. didn't wasn't that a game changer? Boy, didn't that change everything? Oh, it did help two people across the lake in North Shore. Uh, father and son got arrested. Something right on. Oh, brilliant! They voted for. <laughs> they voted for Trump. Okay. Yeah. Also, I want to say I want to wish a happy birthday to the United States Auxiliary Air Force Silver Patrol. We're 81 years old today. We formed nice. December 1st, 1941, seven days before Pearl Harbor. And that was our job, was to fly the coastline looking for U-boats and stuff like that. And, you know, look for any aircraft trying to come in. And we wow. flew seven days before it happened. <laughs> you know, so. Amazing. Which, Amazing. And we we're all volunteers. We we're all volunteers. We we're actually a branch of the Air Force. So we could say, hey, we're an Air Force. I'm a captain. I'm a pilot for them. 
Right on. And, stuff like that. And, and if you finally do get Stephanie to come down here, John, my, my, my thing is I want to take you for a flight over our coastline and show you where it's damaged at and where they're fighting to bring it back. Right on. We have a chance. We have it's, okay. it's all of me, dude. I'll pay for everything. Road trip. I mean, I'd be honored to. Listen, as soon as as soon as we get to announce more dates and we're coming near you, you let me know. You call back up and we'll set something up because I will totally take advantage of your hospitality. You got it, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much. Good night. I'll be on the road all year next year. Good night.